You're listening to a podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. This is week three of our identity series. We hope that this message encourages you to grow deeper in your understanding of who you are through the eyes of Jesus. Well, I've got a question for you this morning, and I want to ask you very simply, do you love me? It's a rhetorical question. Don't feel you have to shout at an answer. Okay, thank you very much. It's all right. I hope you'll tolerate me for the next 30 minutes or however long. But do you love me? Do you love me? It's a question that we ask of others all the time without maybe using those words exactly. Do you love me? Do you accept me? Do you like me the way I am? Whether we realize it or not, we're asking this question almost each and every day. When we smile at someone, will they smile back? And when we say hello, what kind of reaction are we going to get back? Will people laugh at my jokes? Will, Will they accept me for who I am? Am I loved? Now, for many employees around this time of year, or maybe it's later in the year in December, we go through this experience of an annual performance review. And we sit down with our bosses and we look back uh, at our efforts over the past year and we ask, am I doing what you want me to? Am I pleasing you? Do you love me? And whether we realize it or not, you, you may be asking, do you love me when you go onto social media? Maybe you're posting a picture of something that you and your friends got up to, your family, or maybe it's a comment, a smart, witty comment that you've posted, and we're hopeful that others will click that little like button, that they'll like it, that we'll get some confirmation that maybe we are witty enough, or maybe that was a really great experience, and we keep checking back to see who's liked our comments. Do you love me? I'm not really on social media a huge amount, but I feel that anxiety every time I stand up here. Are people going to connect with this message? Will everyone stay awake? You know, do you love me? See, so much of the way we experience love from others is based on what we do. Sociologist Charles Horton Cooley explains that we develop our concept of self by watching other people react to different versions of ourselves that we present. He argues from a secular standpoint that our self-esteem and our identity comes mainly from what outside eyes see in us and what outside voices say about us. And our society tells us that we are loved because of our performance. Our culture says that we are loved because of others' response to what we do and what we say, that love is something to be earned. I fell into this trap at at high school. I started a new high school in grade nine, and I don't know about you, but I reckon grade nine is the worst year of the entire schooling life, right? I, uh, I went to a new school, and I really struggled to fit in. I found myself doing all sorts of stupid things in class, and at break time, just to kind of try and impress those around me, try to get them to accept me, try to fit in with a group. And without using the words explicitly, do you love me? That's what I was trying to get an answer to. Do you love me? Even the other day, thinking I could be assured that the answer was yes, as a little bit of sermon research, I asked my wife, Laurie, do you love me? She said, why? (laughs) 
But she did say the very first thing she saw me this morning, I love you, Tim, and I love you too, Laura. You're a legend. But deep within us, at the core of our identity, there is this question that we desperately want answered. Do you love me? This morning, as we continue our identity series through Ephesians, we're going to discover what God says when we ask that question to him. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. So why don't you open your Bible, if you've brought it along, or if you've got an app on your uh, digital device, feel free to open it and navigate your way to Ephesians 3. It's towards the back. There's a fair bit of scrolling involved if you're on your phone. But we're going to read through a prayer that the Apostle Paul had for the church at Ephesus. I'm going to go through this prayer line by line and discover what God has to say to us. See, the prayers that we pray tell us a lot about the people who are praying them. The prayers that we pray point to our passions, our desires, and our anxieties. And they highlight the things that we think are important, the things that we want to see God do in our world. And in this letter to the Ephesians, Paul has a passionate prayer for the church based on his revelation and insight of God's love. He's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus to to kind of bring Jews and Gentiles together. You know, the, the, the people of the Old Testament The Jews were God's holy people. But through the cross, Jesus had opened his love up to a whole new bunch of people, the Gentiles, those that weren't Jews. And so in this church at Ephesus, there are a lot of Jews and a lot of Gentiles, and Paul is writing them saying, you are one family. You are together in Christ. It's a big focus of Ephesians chapter 3. And so we hear this prayer that he prays for them right in this letter. And in in the original Greek that Paul wrote, it's just one long sentence. There's no commas. There's no full stops. It's just one kind of outpouring of Paul's wisdom and insight on God's love. And he often spoke out his his letters as well to, to people who would write them down and then send them around to the churches. So you can just almost hear the excitement and the passion and the emotion build up for Paul as he reads, as he shares this prayer. So let's read from Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, beginning from verse 14. He says, For this reason, and this reason is bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul has a bold prayer for the church at Ephesus, and a bold prayer for the church in general. His prayer is that Christians would come to know and experience the fullness of God's love and allow that love to shape their identity. Paul's prayer is that through God's power, we would take hold of God's love, that God's love would shape us, would form us, and the truths that that Paul shares with us would guide us. And yet Paul is not just pulling these prayers out of thin air. Paul is basing his prayer on the truths that he knows about the God that he's read in his scriptures. Paul's basing this prayer on the the truths that he knows about God as he's had this significant revelation 
of God's love. See, the basis of Paul's prayer is the knowledge of God's purpose. And so there's still truth for us in this prayer today. And so Paul has four key building blocks of this prayer. They're like layers that build one on top of the other. And the truths in this prayer show us how our identity can be shaped by God's power and love. As is kind of customary, it seems, in this series, I do have some props to try and make it a little bit clearer this morning. So the first building block, the first building block of Paul's prayer is that we would be strengthened by the Spirit. If you're writing notes this morning or you're taking notes in your phone, write that down. Strengthened by the Spirit. If we want to see our identity shaped through the lens of our Creator, we need God's power to be able to do that. We can't do that just on our own. The Bible tells us that we are made in God's image. And so if we're made in God's image to reflect Him, we need to see Him at work in our lives. And this is the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is described as a counselor, a helper, a guide, and a teacher. The Holy Spirit resides within the believer, and He directs and guides, comforts, and influences us, and produces fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control in our lives. The Holy Spirit works deep within our inner being, as Paul says, shapes us from the inside out. And Paul prays that we would know his transformative and strengthening power. So Paul is setting the scene here for what's to come. Everything that he prays, everything that he says in this prayer, he recognizes can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit, that it is work that is at work deep within our lives. And so Paul continues with the second element of this prayer, and that is that we would build our life on a firm foundation. He says this in uh, verse 17, and and the full stops and the commas are a little bit arbitrary, as I said before, because it's all one sentence. But Paul is saying, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you would be rooted and established in love. Paul's heart is that we would not build our lives on something that was not a firm foundation. That instead, we would build our lives, we would build our identity on a firm foundation, on a stable and solid footing. Not blown away around by the wind and the waves, but grounded and established on the foundations that sink deep into God's love. And Paul, in in this part of the prayer, is using these words that evoke ideas of permanency and stability. He talks about Christ dwelling in our hearts. Not just passing through like a temporary visitor, but taking up residence within us. He uses the metaphor of a tree with its roots firmly planted in the ground. And the image of a building established is the word that he used. Established with strong and deep foundations that enable it to be built high. Paul is praying that our faith would be built and would stand strong on the permanent rock-solid foundation that is Christ's love for our people. And the beauty of that love is that it can be trusted. In our world, love can mean many things, can be many things. It can be superficial. We say things like, oh, I love chocolate, or I love a certain TV show. 
We love things really superficially. We love them more superficially than we love our spouse or our kids. And love can be conditional as well. We talked before about, uh, you know, we will be loved for what we do. Sadly, that's a reality in our world sometimes. And our experience of our world's type of love can be inconsistent. It can be passionate one day and standoffish the next. But Christ's love is different. This love that Paul earnestly prays that we would know is love that is deep, love that is unconditional, love that is unchanging. And Paul uses this word agape, which we translate as love. But the early Christian writers used that word agape exclusively to describe the unconditional love of God, a selfless love that is passionately committed to the well-being of others. We are loved because God is love. And this is the reliable foundation on which Paul says we can build our lives and our identity. There is nothing that we can do that will make God love us more. And there's nothing that we can do that will make God love us less. God loves us no matter what. This is Paul's starting point. Christ's love is the firm foundation. The roots of our identity are to be found in Christ's love. Yet for Paul, this is just the beginning. Because even if Christ's love is our foundation, we're only experiencing a small taste of it. Paul actually wants us to grasp God's love, to take hold of it. He writes, he passionately prays that we would fully grasp God's love. He says, asking God in in verse 18, he says, Uh, that we may have power, this is his prayer, that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Because we're merely scratching the surface. When I was a kid living in suburban Melbourne, we used to live near this road called Reynolds Road. And it was a really familiar road to me. I reckon I traveled on this road almost every day of my life. We would use it to get to the shops. We would travel on it to go to school. We'd take the same road to go visit my, parent, my grandparents. And we'd even take that same road to drive us to church. As a young boy, I knew this road really well. And every now and then, we'd drive to the end of this road. And it would take us out of suburbia and into farmland and acreage and all that sort of stuff. And one day, I don't remember how old I was, probably six. I remember turning to my brother and saying, oh, this road, Reynolds Road, it must be the longest road in the world. Because I just didn't have this concept. It was just huge, this road. It just seemed to stretch on forever. But I've grown up since then. I've got more perspective. I've had to go and get my own license, and I've learned some things. I used to think Reynolds Road was a pretty long road as a kid. But when I've been back there to visit with family and friends, and I've driven up and down, and when I've measured it on Google Maps, it's not even 10 kilometers long. And here I was thinking it was the biggest road in the world. See, this, I think, is in a way of how we can experience Christ's love. We might know something about his love for us, but what we know is merely a fraction. We might have experienced a little bit of Christ's love, but there is so much more. Our lives have been built on a firm foundation of Christ's love, but there is a gigantic skyscraper 
yet to experience. Our identity might have its roots in God's love, but there's a huge oak tree that we're yet to comprehend. God's love is so much wider, so much longer, so much higher, and so much deeper than we already know. And Paul prays that we would begin to grasp that, begin to take hold of that, begin to experience that. Yet in some ways, this is an almost an impossible prayer because we'll never fully comprehend the, the full extent of God's love this side of heaven. But we do see other paradoxes like this throughout Scripture. You know, we hear God saying in the Psalms that His love is so great for us that He has taken and separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. In Isaiah, he says that as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. God's love is so infinite, so unexpected, so confounding, that on this side of heaven, we'll never fully comprehend the true width or length or height or depth of God's love. But there is one thing that God has given us for us to be able to hold on to, to be able to conceptualize this love that he has for us. And that is when we look to the cross. See, on the cross, God gave his own son, Jesus, as a perfect sacrifice for all of humankind. Jesus Christ lived a sinless, perfect life. He was tempted in the same ways that we were, yet he was without sin. But our sin separates us from God. All of our mistakes, all of our missteps, all of our mess-ups, they, they fall short. Our words and our deeds, we fall short of God's holy and perfect standard. In the Old Testament, God's people would, uh, would sacrifice a spotless lamb to God for the forgiveness of their sins. Every year, they'd go up to the temple and they'd sacrifice a lamb. The innocent blood of this lamb would be poured out. And because there was blood spilt, God would forgive their sins. And the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to be the perfect sacrifice for all of humanity. Because of his great love for us, Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. Because of his great love for us, Jesus allowed himself to be beaten up. And because of his great love for us, Jesus allowed himself to be hung on the cross. This cross shows us the width and the length, the height and the depth of God's love. See, God's love is wide enough to cover anyone. It's long enough to pull, push through any boundary that goes against it. It's high enough to overcome any sin. And it's deep enough to reach down and touch any hurt that we might have. As his arms were outstretched on the cross, it was Jesus' love for you that held him there. He took on the mess of the world. He took on the mess of humanity because of his great love for us. And he opened up a way for us to have an eternal relationship with our Creator. See, God isn't out to get you. He's not angry and just waiting for you to fail. He doesn't weigh up all the good things and all the bad things that you've done and then decide whether He loves you or not. 
You've done nothing to earn his love. In reality, you and I don't even deserve it. But when you ask God, do you love me? We find the answer in the cross. His response is an overwhelming, undoubting, unswerving, yes, you are loved. I love you even more than you will ever know. See, at the cross, Jesus changed the narrative. At the cross, Jesus showed his love for us in the most incredible way. At the cross, Jesus made a way for us to be embraced, for us to be welcomed in to God's family. And we can take hold of this truth when we look to the cross. We can start to grasp what Jesus has truly done for us. We can begin to comprehend the length and the width, the height and the depth of God's love. When you think you're not good enough, God says, I love you more. When you say, oh, I've stuffed up again, God loves you more. When you question and doubt yourself, God loves you more. And even when you're going okay and everything seems good, God loves you more. God doesn't love you because of what you've done. He loves you in spite of what you've done. But he loves you more than you will ever know. And this is what Paul is building to in his prayer for the church at Ephesus. He continues in verse 19. He says, uh, I pray that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge and that you would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. His prayer is that we would be filled with the fullness of God's love, that we would know more and more of God's love, that we would come to experience God's love in the same way that Jesus experienced God's love. See, in the last days on this earth, Jesus prayed his own prayer for those who had put their trust in him. He prayed that the world would know me. He prayed to God that the world would know you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. See, Jesus walked in the fullness of God's love. He and the Father were one. They had been since the beginning of all creation. Jesus and the Father were one, and he invites us into that fullness. Paul is, is almost stealing this prayer from Jesus and praying that we would be filled with his fullness as well, that we would know God's love to the very depth of our being, that it would transform our self-concept and shape our very identity, that we would be filled with the fullness of God's love. Being filled with the fullness of God is a little bit like a jar being filled with the ocean. This jar contains 100% pure Pacific Ocean. It's, uh, if you open it up and taste it, it, it's salty. You can almost hear the waves. But this jar is full of the ocean. But it's not filled to the fullness of the ocean, is it? This jar contains just an incredibly small 
part of the ocean. It's filled to almost overflowing. And if I had a little bit more and it hadn't dripped out when it leaked a little bit, it would be almost overflowing, filled. And yet it's a tiny sample. There is so much more of the ocean out there. It's the same with us. God fills us with His love. And Paul wants us to be strengthened by the Spirit. He prays that our lives would be built on a firm foundation. He wants us to grasp the love of God so that we can be filled with His love to its fullness. But there is still so much more of God's love to know and to experience. There is abundantly more of His love. There's still so much left over, so much that God wants to show us. I reckon we fall into the trap sometimes in our thinking. And we actually think that God is too small. It's the real problem behind our inability at times to live out our faith. We have an image of God in our minds that is too small. We've got this image in our hearts of this God. Even, even we built it up to be an idol. This God that is remote, disinterested, distant. Now, this picture we have of God just looks a little bit too much like us. It's like filling this jar with the ocean and saying, that's all the ocean there is. We get comfortable with this jar. And we can understand it. You know, it's actually not that threatening. Now we begin to think that that is all that there is. We know God. We can understand Him. But we're limiting Him. We're making Him far too small. The God of the Bible is not a small God. He is more powerful, more majestic, more loving than we could ever comprehend. And we all know the power of the ocean. If you've ever been swept up and dumped on by a wave, there's so much more power in the ocean that can be contained in this jar. There's so much more of God's love that He wants to show us. He wants to break out of that jar that we've put Him in. We sit here during Beyond Month and we hear this invitation to commit $1.7 million dollars. And we think to ourselves, oh man, I don't know if we can do that. I don't know if our God's big enough. And then we find out today that God has just opened up the floodgates and poured out His generosity. He is bigger than we know. And then we come together and we sing some songs that we may have heard on our playlists during the week. They're catchy and they sound nice, but we gloss over the words. If we stopped to really reflect on them, we might just start to realize how gracious, how powerful, how loving our God really is. We pray these prayers of little faith, doubting that the small God in our minds can actually change a life. But then we hear in the baptistry stories of how the God of the universe has miraculously stepped down into someone's life, completely transforming it turning someone upside down and inside out, but really the right way up. See, the God in our minds is too small. We think that we're filled with the fullness of God, but there is a whole ocean out there of His love for us. You know, we might, we might grow. You know, the, the jar, the picture we have of God might actually expand. But still, 
There is more love for us that can even be contained in this. And we might start to comprehend that. We might start to grasp God's love. And we end up with this gigantic baptistry here and we fill that with water. But even then, God's love is more that can fill that. God's love is as vast as an ocean. Do you comprehend this? Do we get this this morning that God loves us more than we will ever know? God loves us more than we will ever know. He is not remote. He's not distant. He's not far off. He lives deep within us. As God strengthens us from within, as He builds those foundations, as we grasp more of His love, as our container increases, God wants to keep filling us with His fullness. There is still more love in the ocean. His love is limitless. It's inexhaustible. It knows no boundaries. So I want to ask you this morning, will you let go of the limits that you have put on God? Will you kind of take the lid of this jar off and allow your capacity to increase through the work of your spirit? Will you allow him to expand your horizons so that you can understand and experience even more of God's love? His love is as vast as the ocean. And he wants to fill us with our, his grace, overwhelm us with his love and transform us with his power and remind us of our true identity, that we are loved. You are loved. I am loved. We are loved by the creator of the universe. And God loves us more than we will ever know. We're going to wrap this up in a moment and spend some time worshiping God. But before we do, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to accept that love, to put your trust in Jesus the one who embodied that love, the one who showed us that love, the one who went to the cross because of his love for us. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to accept his great love for you, to declare him as Lord and Savior of your life. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is your opportunity to do it this morning. So why don't we all bow our heads and close our eyes this morning? And I want to give you an opportunity right now. As we see ourselves, we know how broken and sinful we are. We sometimes even wonder, can God love someone like me? But friend, the truth is that Jesus did exactly that. He came and died on the cross. He took the sins of the world. He took your sins because of his great love for you. And he invites you into a deep relationship with him. A relationship where he will welcome you in to God's family and promise you an everlasting life. All you have to do is put your trust in him. Say, yes, I accept. I want to receive that love. And so if that's you this morning in this room or joining us online, I want to ask you right now, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd love to lead you through a prayer. 
I'd love to celebrate with you. You just need to let me know so I can pray for you. If that's you this morning, if you want to put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, can I get you to raise your hand right now? Wherever you are in this room right now, thanks, mate. You can put your hand down. I'd love to pray for you. Online, just click that button in the chat. Someone would love to pray with you. If you want to put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you want to accept His love this morning, just shoot your hand up. We'd love to pray with you. Just right now, across this room, put your hand up. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's great. That's awesome. So cool. Really good. Last chance this morning, if that's you. Okay. Brilliant. Brilliant. But why don't we all pray this? If you stuck your hand up this morning, I want to encourage you to pray alongside with me. Just follow along after I pray. You can pray under your breath. Why don't we all pray a simple prayer, accepting Christ's love this morning. Dear Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your great love for me. Lord, I recognize the times that I have stuffed up. I recognize my mistakes, my missteps. But I thank you, Jesus, that you have died for those sins. I accept your love and your grace right now. Would you come into my life? Would you transform me from within? Jesus, I thank you. And I accept you as my Lord and my Savior today. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. Hey, why don't we give those who rose their hands and pray their prayer a huge round of applause this morning. That is the best decision that you'll ever make decision to put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you, if that was you this morning, whether you put your hand up or not, we'd love to get some resources into your hand. You can come down the front and uh, visit with our prayer team, or our pastoral team. They'd love to give you uh, uh, some resources. Or you can head out to our welcome desk and they've got a little booklet there with some great uh, resources, a, a bit of scripture as well that will help you take some next steps on your journey in faith. But Paul, in his prayer this morning, wants us to be strengthened by God's Spirit. He wants us to build our life on a firm foundation. He wants us to grasp God's love, and he wants us to be filled with the fullness of God. This is Paul's prayer. He wants us to take hold of how mighty, how powerful, how loving, and how active God is. And he wants us to know that, that, that God loves us more than we will ever know or comprehend. And Paul knows that if we really get this, if we start to have this truth in our lives, that our only response can be worship and transformation because the Spirit will be at work. And as Paul is sharing this prayer to his scribe and praying it for the church at Ephesus, you hear his passion builds, his excitement builds. And as he finishes, he can't help but bring glory to God. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Come on, can we give God some glory this morning? Come on, let's worship Him.
Hey, why don't we jump to our feet this morning? We're going to finish by singing a song that just declares God's love. Just, just cries out and says how deep, how wide His love is for us. If you're here this morning and you're, you just want to know more, you're, you're kind of almost limiting God. Your jar is too small. If you're here this morning and you want God to strengthen you in His Spirit, to expand your capacity, we would love to pray for you. Maybe you've got doubts this morning. Maybe you're going through massive challenges this morning. Whatever it is you want to know God's power and His love, we would love to pray for you that God would strengthen you by the power of His Spirit. Our prayer and our pastoral team are going to be down here, down the front. So as we sing this song of worship, I want to invite you to come down. Accept the prayer that is offered and just come before Jesus and worship Him. Come on together. Let's, uh, let's sing this great song of God's love for us. Yeah.
Jesus, for your great love for us. Thank you that you love us more than we will ever know. God, I pray that you would, even though your love is beyond comprehension, Lord, I pray that you would expand our capacity. Lord, you would strengthen us in your spirit. You would help us to grasp even more how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is for us. Jesus, may you strengthen us from within. May we know without a shadow of a doubt that we are loved. Father, we thank you for ministering to us today. We pray a blessing on each and every one of us as we go from here. May we know your love. May we walk in your love. And may we share your love with others. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us here today. I want to encourage you, if you'd like more prayer, our team are going to stay down here for a while. We'd love to pray with you. Love to, uh, to pray that you would experience more of God's love. Don't forget to join us next week. We've got Carl Face coming to share with us. But in the meantime, have a good week and God bless you. Have a good one. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.